The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology, in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. Then turn in your copy of God's Word to Colossians 1. Colossians 1, uh, in verse 21, we're just plugging along and we pick up where we left up last week in our verse-by-verse uh, verse and passage-by-passage study through this book of Colossians. And as you're finding your way there, let me just ask this question this morning. Have you ever thought of yourself as an enemy? As somebody else's enemy? As being hostile towards another person with the intent to hurt or destroy? I know, I know. It's like we're here to talk about Jesus. You're getting kind of aggressive, Blair. It's a kind of an aggressive way to begin a sermon. I get it, but, but just track with me here for a minute. It's easy to think of others as our enemies, right? Those who've uh, offended us, those who've hurt us. Uh, you know, and, and in our day, like if somebody votes differently uh, than us, if they cheer for a different team, if they look different or eat something different or smell different or dress different, then they can become our enemies. That's not what I'm talking about. Have you occupied the place of enemy? Would somebody consider you their enemy? And I know that sounds kind of aggressive, and maybe even in some ways, uh, on the flip side, I've struck a tender chord, a tender note for something that you've said or done in the past that you have occupied that place, and you now are deeply remorseful. You regret that. Maybe it's in the present now and you're facing the consequences because of it. I know this is aggressive. I know this is maybe tender here. And yet, this is the note that our passage begins on today. It begins on the note of humans, we being God's enemy. Hostile in mind and evil in deeds turns towards him. And, and this has been a theme, actually, that Paul has been building to, that he's going to shine the light on today. A couple weeks ago, we learned how to pray. Prayers that God delights to answer. And even in that, this theme of reconciliation popped up. And last week, as we looked to Christ and as he was set before us in the passage as uh, incomparable, as God's great son, even in that, this theme of reconciliation as the preeminent one uh, was highlighted there. We've learned all along the way that none compare to Jesus. He is the one through whom all things are created and is also the one through whom all creation is reconciled. While we've got tidbits in the previous passages, today it comes to the forefront. Our passage really brings this truth of reconciliation home, making it personal, bringing it to uh, our uh, laps, putting it right before our face and bringing us to this conclusion here, the bottom line of the passage, if you're taking notes that only Jesus can turn an enemy into a friend. Only Jesus can turn an enemy into a friend. Write that down so you never forget it. Write it in the margins of your Bible, in your sermon notes, or wherever you need the reminder. But come to the passage now, Colossians 1, 21 through 23. I'm going to read it, and you'll see how and why only Jesus can do this. Follow along and hear God's word. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds... 
He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now this is God's word for God's people. A brief passage, yet rich with theology and rich with personal application. For within these verses really uh, capture the summary truths of every person's testimony of your story of salvation and my summary of those theological truths of what God has done to reconcile humanity to himself. And now one of the joys of of pastoring, you've maybe even heard me say this as I've got to listen to your testimony, but one of the joys of what I get to do in pastoring and eldering and shepherding God's people is hearing the unique details of how God has saved you. All the various ways that uh, he has uh, brought you to the single focal point that everybody comes to of choosing to follow Christ. Of repenting and rejecting our sin and choosing in faith to follow Christ. But all of us have the different unique details of what was going on in our life prior to that. And what God used or who God used to bring you to this point. And how then your life is now growing in Christ. The, The details are diverse but it is all the same truth. And it is all coming to the same person who is Jesus Christ. It is a great joy, even as I look through across this room and knowing many of your stories of what God has done in your life to save you, all I can do is say praise be to God. Amen? And in every testimony, though the details are various and though the center point is the same, every testimony really has kind of three parts, which is what our three verses really follow this line for. There's three parts in every testimony. I once was, you fill in the blank, Sometimes that is uh, long and, and dark and, and uh, depressing. The second part then, but God, through Jesus Christ. And the third section then, and now I am growing in this way. Now I'm going uh, uh, about my life this way. This is how God has changed You know, and as we talk about our testimony, as we get to share what God has done in our life, sometimes we like to highlight maybe one of these uh, sections, and yet they're all equally important with the the main point being of, of what God has done in Christ Jesus to save you and me. So this morning, we just get simply, as we've been doing, we've been singing and praying about, we just get to revel in the gospel today. Reveling in, the, in our salvation, in our reconciliation, the good news of our salvation. And back in verse 12, we were taught to pray and to do what? To give thanks for our salvation, weren't we? To give thanks that there should be overwhelming gratitude in our life as we think of what God has done to save us. And so as we work our way through this passage, we're just going to do so from a posture of gratitude. Telling the Lord first, thank you that I am not who I used to be. You're taking notes. This is our first point there in verse 21. Thank God I am not who I used to be. Somebody say amen right there, right? Thank God I'm not who I used to be. And as much as we may not want to admit it, what verse 21 is bringing us to is that we were once God's enemies. 
We, we were. Look at, look at how it begins. And you. Who's that speaking of? And you. Just the Colossians? Who's that speaking of? Everybody but you? No? Turn to your neighbor and look at, look at him and say, it's talking about me. It's talking about me and you who were once. Look at these uh, descriptions as he's bringing us here, not just the Colossians, but each one of us. You, your life prior to Christ... You once were these things, these descriptions here. You were once alienated. What a word, separated, to be estranged, totally opposite, and not even on the same terms. In two different camps, not close to one another. And this alienation, what did it come from? Because they were hostile in mind. This is what, what to be hostile in mind it means to be hateful. Be hateful here. Thoughts bent on ways to harm vengeful, going our own way, doing evil deeds. It's not, see, not just in the mind, but also in the actions, carrying out those plans to actually harm or to carry out revenge or to just do what we want to do. See, what he's bringing us, we were alienated, we were separated, estranged and hateful towards God from the inside and out in our mind and in our actions. It was sin that had separated us from God and from one another. This is, this is hard truth. These are things that uh, we don't like to say, oh, well, I wasn't really that bad prior to Christ, was I? Yet the picture that the scripture gives is this uh, adversarial tone towards those who are apart from God. In, in Romans 3, uh, Paul goes even further. Like we just get the, we get the light version here, although the words are action-packed and full of meaning and hostility here in verse 21. But into other places, uh, Paul, uh, he, he lines it all out. You know Ephesians 2, we looked at that several months ago, 2, 1 to 3. But hear what he says in Romans chapter 3 as he's laying out uh, this, uh, how our sin has separated us both from the inside out. You can turn there if you want or just listen. This is Romans 3, 10 through 18. Uh, Roman church there, just so we know, this isn't something he's making up, but this is longstanding biblical truth. He says, as it is written, he goes on to quote lots of Old Testament passages here. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together, they have become worthless. It's as if uh, there's nobody seeing God, nobody is clean, nobody is right before God, and we're all in this together. No one does good, not even one. Now look, at like here's the insight. Here's that, that's at our motivations. That's at our desires. But then he goes like through this full body exam. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. It's hard stuff, isn't it? And yet, as we look at our life prior to Christ, thank God I am not who I used to be. Because if you come back to Colossians 1.21, what's a word there that I kind of skipped over in just jumping to the descriptions there? And you who once were. This is kind of two words. You who once were, were past tense. See, if you're in Christ today, 
Thank God you are not who you once used to be. This is not what we gloat in and whatever, however this manifested itself, whatever deeds were true of you, whatever you were doing in your life, as he says to the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians 6, 11, and such were some of you, but not any more. But not anymore. See, our past doesn't define us. It is a, a reality that we can't just ignore or skip over. It is the sad reality of who we were, and it makes the glory and the grace of Christ that much better. But we, cannot, we can give thanks to God that it does not define us even now. If we are in Christ, then those sins that you committed and your self-righteous efforts that you did to shake your fist at God do not define you. The things that you were doing uh, to, to get his attention or to, uh, to, or to run away from him, these were once true of us. And see, listen, I've said this before. Some of us, though, are really good at holding on to those past things. Things that are preventing you from knowing Christ and growing in him. Holding on to the passing pleasures of sin. Holding on to those, those things that, uh, uh, that, that maybe you think are hidden. Or maybe they're right out in the open and God is calling you today even to, to, to just repent of it, to bring it to the light, to get the help that you need, that these things need to be in the past. Maybe you're holding on to things or sins that have been committed against you. Bitter and enslaved, you're feeling the angst of it. Not minimizing the pain nor the consequences, but just in the same way we're calling to bring it to the light. These things are brought to the light. We're to forgive and to be reconciled and see the things that have happened to us through the sovereignty of God and get the counsel and the hope and help of Christ that we need. Some of us also here, maybe this sits closer, and we're holding on to our Christian upbringing, our good deeds, or we're thinking that our impeccable character is enough to save us. The text is here, apart from Christ and what he has done, these things are not good enough to save us. Let's lay it down. Don't celebrate it. Don't hide it. Let Christ shine over it. If you are in Christ today, thank God for it. But these things do not describe us today. But the hard reality is if you're not in Christ today, these words still do describe you. Whether you feel like it or not, whether you've uh, verbalized it or not, this is the position of your life and where you stand even today. And yet God in His great mercy, God in His uh, grace has brought you in to invite you and also to warn you the dangers of going your own way. See, right before Romans 3 that I read, Paul issues this invitation and this warning in Romans 2, verses 4 and 5. Look at it here on the screen. He says, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? Whatever it is that is keeping you from Christ, you're presuming on his patience, on his kindness, not knowing that it is God's kindness that is meant to lead you to repentance. A turning away from his sin. It is his kindness that you are alive. It is his kindness that you are hearing the good news of Christ today. He says, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Today, if you are under the sound of my voice and you are hearing of the, of the consequences of sin, that you are an enemy of God, and yet he is offering forgiveness He's offering you grace today. If only 
you would soften your heart and choose Christ. Leave not out of here today without coming to Christ. And when you do, know the gratitude that you are no longer his enemy, but now his friend. Now a friend of God. And what does this even mean? See, as we, as, as we go through the text here, this is what was once true of us. We thank God that this is not true of us anymore. But then as we've come to Christ, then we hear the second point. We thank God because I am reconciled. I, I am reconciled. See, in, in verse 22, we almost need like a but God in this verse, right? It, it would fit so perfectly, and yet the Holy Spirit inspired that it would not be there, and that's okay. We see that in so many places in the Bible, right? In Ephesians 2, 4, we get this but God uh, in Christ Jesus. In the book of Jonah, we have all these but Jonah does all these you know, nonsensical, even foolish and rebellious things, and then you get a but God, and we need it right here. We were once his enemies... But now, but now Christ has reconciled us here. He has now reconciled us in his body of flesh by his death. And this just brings us to just a simple definition. What is, you know, these words we use often to describe our salvation in the Bible maybe just need some like simple, clear definitions because we use reconcile and sometimes we wonder like, well, what in the world does that even mean? Well, in the biblical context, and even us here, to reconcile just means very simply to make an enemy a friend. To, to make an enemy a friend, to reconcile means you were once at enmity with one another. You were once hostile and, 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 and adversarial, and now you are friendly. Now you've been brought near, and this is another beautiful aspect of our salvation. Like the Bible has all kinds of, of those big theological words that we use all the time, right? Like justification, sanctification, glorification, redemption, all those, like, those, those big words that we use. And sometimes we're just like, okay, that's, that's cool. And yet in those terms, it is communicating something, another glorious aspect of our salvation, what God did to save us. So reconcile here, like we've said, it's to make an enemy of a friend. But just hear this, like John MacArthur, he brings some helpful clarity. And I'm just quoting this here because it's so simple for us to understand. You know, in, the, in terms of justification, here's this quote. In justification, the sinner stands before God guilty and condemned, but is declared righteous. All this happening in our, our salvation. In redemption, the sinner stands before God as a slave and is granted his freedom. In forgiveness, the sinner stands before God as a debtor, but the debt is paid and forgotten. In adoption, the sinner stands before God as a stranger, but is made a daughter or son. And in reconciliation, the sinner stands before God as an enemy and now becomes his friend. End quote. Now, you see the, the various aspects, it's like it's the gem of our salvation. And the Bible uses so many different terms. We were once slaves to our sin. We were once enemies. We were once guilty of our sin. We were once his strangers. And now, in the beauty of the God's salvation, we, we're free. We've been set free from our sin. We're his sons and daughters, and even more so, we are his friends. We are his friends. Thank God that we are reconciled. But how did he do it? How did he do it? It was in his death. Now, kind of a weird way. Look at verse 22. He has now reconciled or made enemies and friends. How? In his body of flesh by his death. His death on the cross set us free from our sins. That death that we deserved to die. What we remember, and we'll do it at the close of the service, is we remember communion here. It was in his, in, in his body that was, uh, that was beaten 
the consequences, the just consequences that we deserve for being his enemies, his death, his blood being spilt on that cross was a death that we deserved to die. And yet he did it. And only Christ could do it. See, here's the thing. What Jesus created, only he could fix. This, this is the flow that Paul's bringing up as, as in the previous passage. No one compares to Christ. He is the creator. No one else, nothing else. Our actions couldn't do it. The actions of another, a sacrificial system, the countless death of animals could not ultimately fix it. But we, his creation, was broken and only he could reconcile it back to himself. But the glory of it, what he says and what he, we're being reconciled to in the rest of the verse, it, he, he didn't just do it to like fix it to a state that was like less than its original. You know, as if we were like a, a, a pot, a flower pot that was then shattered on the ground and then somehow like, okay, Jesus is like, well, I got to fix this. And he takes it all together and he like glues it back together. And now it's kind of this like still in the same shape, but its integrity has been compromised and it's all that. No, he didn't just take us to a place that was less than the original, nor even back to just a place of neutrality. To reconcile went to some like state of neutrality with him that we could, all right, well now how are they going to respond to me? Only Jesus can actually take what has been broken and in his glory and through his wisdom make it even better. That our state right now as justified, reconciled sinners to a holy God is a place even better than Adam and Eve had in the Garden of Eden. Only he could do it. Only he could reconcile us, look to this, to a place of holiness and blamelessness. Is that a word? To be blameless and above reproach before him. This is what Christ did. Not just making us like, okay, you were once my enemies, now here, I'm going to make you my friend, go do whatever you want. No, he takes us to a place of holiness, to be set apart from God, for God. To be blameless as in like without blemish. Like the animals of the Old Testament that had to be without defect, that were the best of the best, not the ones with, uh, with, with blemishes or, 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 or defects. They were to be uh, blameless, and he does so with us, blameless in character, to be above reproach, meaning without charges, consistent, where no one can make charges uh, against us. And one day Christ will take us and present us to the Father this way. He will take us and say, here are my trophies, not because of anything that you or I did, but because of what he did on the cross, what Christ did on our, in, on our behalf and in our lives. And we know we didn't deserve it, did we? We're his enemies. We were once his enemies, and now Christ has done this. And so he, he leads us in this way. It's what he will present us to. But it's not just like this future hope of holiness, this future blamelessness, this future above reproach. But it is, in, 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 in a sense, true of us even now as we live this life uh, in light of what God has done for us. And so what do we do when we receive a gift from somebody that we didn't deserve or we didn't earn or we didn't expect? Last night, we received a gift from a friend. Apparently, they make these things, these covers that you can put in your microwave that, you know, like prevent things from exploding and making your microwave. A friend very kindly last night gave us this gift that we didn't deserve, we didn't ask for. She was very thoughtful. When you receive a gift, what do you say? 
Thank you, a life of gratitude towards the Lord, knowing we did not deserve it. Thank you, Lord, for making me your friend when I hated you. And then we begin to live a life worthy of the gift that was given us. Uh, uh, stewarding the gift by living this life that is worthy of the gospel, fully pleasing to him, that is bearing the fruit of gratitude and holiness in our life. See, we know we didn't deserve it. We know we haven't earned it on our own. We are not sitting in a place of entitlement with our reconciliation. And this then, church, is what motivates us for the holy living, motivates us in blameless character, motivates us to be above reproach and to persevere uh, through all things in this life because we know we have been reconciled without deserving it. Thank God for that. Amen? Thank God. And this is, this is why, like the, the final piece, this is why we can finally say it's like, thank God I am changed. Thank God I am changed. I'm not who I once was. I've now been reconciled, and now I have been changed. See, change or transformation is ultimately what reconciliation produces. A change in mind, a change in status, a change in actions. See, in our salvation, it wasn't, it's not a story of like, well, I once was doing whatever I wanted, and then God saved me, and now I can live a life doing whatever I wanted. That's, that's not the gospel. That's not what he does. He affects a change in our thinking and our status. The change in relationship, as we've said over and over, as we've gone from an enemy to being a friend. A friend of God. And not like a Facebook friend. Not just a mere acquaintance, you know, that's in like our, you know, in our profile, like follower of Jesus, friend of Jesus. But a true friend. The biblical sense, an eternal friend, one to go the distance with, one that you don't give up on, one that you uh, extend grace and mercy towards. But in this case, he is, it's, it's all one way. He's extending the grace and mercy towards us. See, thank God I am changed. Change, there's a change in the relationship, status, but there's also a change in behavior. See, enemies act different around each other than friends act, don't they? If, if not, then I'm like, well, who are your friends and how are you treating them and who are your enemies and what? Like, yeah. There's no scenario in the Bible where someone saved continues to act like someone who is enslaved or hostile or hateful or sinful uh, towards God. No, but we continue to make progress. It's not to say that like in our Christian life there is no sin, that there is no struggle, but there is always progress. There's always change. There's always a transformation that really uh, looks like what verse 23 is getting at. See, enemies, what do they do? They either attack one another or they run away from one another. But friends embrace. Friends love one another. Friends stick with one another. Friends are secure, especially when the relationship has been forged through one's sacrifice. The evidences of this friendship is the change when we stick it out and we tell others. That's what verse 23 is getting at. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Now don't read that like there's some wavering here. Like, like make no mistake about this this morning, church. Like if you've been reconciled, you will continue in the faith, stable and steadfast. You will. What he's getting at here is this is the evidence that someone has truly, genuinely, internally been reconciled and is a friend of God. 
For those that, 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 that do abandon, those that do not continue, those that are unstable and not steadfast, that shift out of the hope of the gospel and begin to doubt his power to save and to keep us only prove that there was no change in the first place. But thank God that we are changed. This brings us a question. Like this, well, this answer is really a question. Like, how do we know if someone is truly saved? How do we know if somebody's reconciled? How can we know if somebody is genuinely a friend of God? Well, like first and foremost, even though Texas here, first and foremost is do they confess Jesus as Savior and Lord? That's how we know. It's like based on the confession of somebody's lips and their life, are they, are, are they confessing? No, Jesus is my Savior. It, my hope is entirely in Him to save me, and He is my Lord or my Master. His ways dictate my life. Now, we're all in various places by that, but Paul brings this out. 1 Corinthians 12, 3 says, Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says that Jesus is accursed. Okay? No, a Christian can't, just like, can't say that. The Spirit of God, if you're saved, the Spirit of God lives in you. There's no cursing God. Also, conversely, no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. The Spirit that makes us bow before Jesus as our King. So, are we saved? Well, we're confessing Jesus is Lord. But the second here is what's brought out in this, is do they continue to follow Christ when it's hard? Are you continuing to follow Christ when it is hard? Continuing stable, steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. Jesus brings this out. It's not just the Pauline truth here, but Jesus brings it out in the parable of the soils. Turn there for just a second. You should, you should probably see this in Matthew 13. Parable of the sower or the parable of the soils. You're familiar with this? Jesus goes out of the house and he tells us uh, so, uh, this parable saying, A sower went out to sow. He sowed some seeds that fell along the path. Birds came and devoured them. Other th seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, but since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. I know you're turning there. I'm just reading it because I want you to look at the explanation here, so don't worry. You're not missing anything. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell in the good soil and produced a grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirsty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But Jesus explains it. Jump over if you're there now. Matthew 13, verse 18. Jesus explained because, the, the, you know, like maybe you're like, well, what does this even mean? I love this when Jesus does this. He like, says a parable and he just knows like the disciples are like, huh? You ever get to the Bible and you're reading something that Jesus says or in the Old Testament or whatever and you're just like, huh? Yeah, me too. Me too. Praise God for the community of faith. Others to ask our questions when we come to those, those places in the Bible, right? We also have a podcast called Consider. We would love those huh questions. You can submit them to there. But here, Jesus knows that. Verse 18, he explains this parable. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what is sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. There's no continuing. There's no endurance, no perseverance. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. 
For the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for the one sown on good, as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields. In one case, a hundredfold; in another, sixty; in another, thirsty. See, like note this: the fruit of endurance is the test; is ultimately a test of salvation, proof of it. Right? This is what Paul's saying. If you've been reconciled, like friends, in this case, in God's economy, when it comes to salvation, those who are friends of God stick it out. Not in our own sake. <laughs> Not in our own grace. All of it is by grace. See, here sometimes we can get this wrong, right? We think we're saved by grace, but we stay this way by works. We can kind of like, you hear that and you're like, well, yeah, maybe I've been living my life that way. Like, yep, I did nothing to save. I did nothing to get in. It was all of Jesus. But I have to do this in order to continue. Otherwise, I'm going to get booted out the party. It's all of grace, church. It's all of grace. It is God's grace that continue on. It is God's grace, and it is also His grace where these fruits then help us to see what is going on if someone is truly a friend of the Lord. And there are multiple passages here. Jesus, He confront, or he, he asks the disciples in John 6, uh, beginning in verse 66, after He's just fed thousands. And guess what? After this, it says, after this, many of His disciples turned back and no longer walked with Him. They did not continue so Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? It's like there's been thousands here. Jesus just fed them miracles. He's been preaching here and they're all gone. And now he's left with 12 and he's like, right, y'all going to stick it out with me too? Simon Peter answers him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And this is what Paul is speaking of back in verse 23. As he's saying, stable, steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. This is a hallmark of Christian faith, of Christian life. A steadfastness no matter what. In hard times, in difficult times, when we're being persecuted, whether we have much or little, we continue steadfast, praising God that we have been changed. And we now have the ability to do so. That, that these two truths, as, as theologians aptly kind of put it, all those who persevere to the end will be saved, and all those who are saved will persevere to the end. See, we can't just go and say, well, then it doesn't matter, on me. It doesn't matter about me. I don't have to walk in faith. I don't have to trust the Lord. No, we do it all by the grace of God. Thank God we're changed. In a day when it is easy to give up, in a day when it is easy to vilify or make one your enemy in God's economy, we continue on in faith. Thank God we've been changed. But there's a third aspect here. Have do they call others to follow Christ? And this is what he's taking them here at the very end here. As Paul is talking about it's like a one long flow of thought here, thanking God he's not who he once used to be, thanking God for his reconciliation, thanking God for the change, but now a change in motivation, a change in purpose, a change in his life's mission here. Paul acknowledges, he's saying, I've become a minister of this gospel. A minister there, literally a servant, or the Greek word diakonos here. And he's really, I think, speaking figuratively that it's been proclaimed in all creation at this point, 
right? Like the gospel has not gone all creation under heaven. But what he is acknowledging here is that this is the mission that he and now they and all of us have been sent on as we are send, being sent out as ambassadors of this reconciliation, just like he has been. See, friends talk about the relationship. Friends talk about uh, now this uh, friend that they have in God. They don't hide it. Especially when so much has been uh, sacrificed to accomplish it. Friends talk about the joy that they have found and the grace that they have found in Christ Jesus. And this is what he's getting. He says, it's been, we're not shifting from this gospel. And as a matter of fact, we're not just abandoning it. Was we're telling others we are advancing it, not retreating from it. The Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The change, right? The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. As we think about our salvation, that's really what's... The old is gone, it's dead. He says, all this is from God. Who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. See, he's saying, you've been reconciled, you've been set free, and now you have a new ministry, a new purpose. That that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. See, isn't, isn't this glorious now? Like, we've been set free and now sent also on this mission with this message. He says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal to the world then through us. Here's what we implore. Here's the message. Be reconciled to God. Like, sometimes we get all, like, worried about, like, okay, well, what am I going to say? I don't, I don't have eloquent words. Like, we, we think we have to be, like, apologists and answer everybody's questions when it comes to faith very simple here first and you can read it later for second corinthians 5 17 to uh, 21 and the gospel message is pretty simple be reconciled to god you now know what reconciliation means and you can explain that but it's just simply what we're calling people be reconciled to god are you right with god are you his enemy or is, are you his friend today here's how you come to terms with him in peace embracing your uh, 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 acknowledging your sin turning from it and embracing Christ Jesus. Be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him, that's Christ, to be sin who knew no sin. Our sin on Christ, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Our sin on Jesus, Jesus' righteousness on us. That's a pretty good deal. One that we did not deserve and one that we now get to proclaim to any who would listen. See, thank God we're we're changed. Thank God we're no longer aimless. Thank God that life now has a purpose, a mission that is beyond us, that is eternal. It's, it, see, like life, your job is more than just money. It's more than just influence. It's more than just prestige. Now everything becomes a stewardship. Everything in our life, even our job, becomes uh, purposeful in that God is in, uh, putting us around people, whether it's in a classroom, in a workspace, in an office, in those kids' activities, in the bleachers, all now has gospel purposes. Where once we were his enemies, now we are his friends and his ambassadors. With a bond that cannot be broken and a confidence that cannot be shaken and a love that cannot be taken. That's good news worth believing, isn't it, church? That's good news worth celebrating. 
It's good news that we do celebrate as we take communion, which we're going to do in just a minute as we come and remember who we were, but what God has done through Christ and what we now are saved to live towards. We thank God for our reconciliation. So why don't we, as we prepare for that, why don't we pray, ask God to apply this to our hearts as we prepare to respond through communion and singing. As we've been doing now, we just have some prompts on the screen to lead us as we pray together. We don't want to just be hearers of the word only, but doers as well. And so let us ask God by his grace in this way. Pray with me even now. God in heaven, here we are. Here we are, grateful for our salvation. And so we just tell you, God, thank you for saving me from this. Not that we want to elevate our past. But we do want to thank you, God, that you've saved us from these things. And Lord, even while we are grateful, we just need to acknowledge maybe we have some doubts. Maybe we are confused about something. And so we're asking you even now, God, Lord, would you keep me stable? Would you keep me steadfast through, through this circumstance, through this question, through this uh, situation, whatever it might be, God, we bring it to you and ask you, help us, God, that we might, our hope might be secure. we acknowledge it's all by your grace our whole life everything from first to last it's by your grace our salvation it's by your grace our continuance in it is by your grace our future hope is by your grace even just the boldness to live out this life is by your grace so we, we pray now, God, give us, give us boldness in this boldness to speak to this person or speak up in this situation to just be uh, foolishly bold, reckless. So give us wisdom, timing, mercy in our boldness. Lord, we take comfort at the right time you sent Christ and he died. The right time we were saved, at the right time you do everything never late you're never doing things at the wrong time you're always at the right time and so we trust you in that even today Lord so we're, our hearts are full of gratitude now grateful for Christ grateful for this gospel grateful for these people in this church the work that you're doing across the globe would you use us continue it through us pray in Christ's name. God's people said.